Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. What if I told you that from now on, once a week, you're going to spend an entire day with the most joyful person you know? Yeah? Think in your head of the the happiest, most joyful person you know. And every week you get to spend a whole day with them. Sounds pretty good, right? Now, what if I told you that once a week (laughs) you get to spend an entire day with God? How does that sound? Now, some of us are, some of us are whooping and be honest though, the whole day with God. Somebody said, we have that. Somebody said, wonderful. My inkling is, if we're honest, does that sound quite as good as the first offer that I made? Or does it sound maybe slightly scary or slightly difficult or dare I say slightly boring? <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's the same offer. It is one and the same offer. God is the most joyful person in all the universe. Think about this. God is the happiest being in all the universe. And so the discipline of Sabbath is about learning to delight with the fullness of our being in the God who is the most joyful being that there is. That's pretty cool. really joyful for me to be with you all in Mukunji this morning and everyone joining online. Welcome. And we had a really refreshing time of worship together this morning, didn't we? So this is our third week in the series Practicing the Presence, and we're learning not just about the habits of the life of Jesus, but learning how to practice the habits that we see in the life of Jesus. And to do that together as community. And so the first practice that we're learning over four weeks is the discipline of Sabbath. And so far we've seen that Sabbath is, first of all, stopping our activity. And then it's intentionally resting from our work for one day set apart a week. And so thus far, really, we've been looking at the need to stop doing certain things. And so it's the discipline of stopping and resting from work. And so I don't know, I'm I'm interested to check in on many of our practice groups to see how it's going because my, my impression from the conversations thus far that I've had with several groups is that this stopping and intentionally resting has actually been bringing up quite a lot of challenge in us quite a lot of resistance in us that we're finding 
even though it might sound nice and easy, it's actually quite difficult. It's actually quite challenging. And so every discipline, doesn't matter what discipline you think of, every discipline necessarily involves some amount of challenge. It necessarily involves some amount of stopping certain things in order to do new things, right? And so up until now, we've been looking at the negative side, the stopping side, but today we're getting to the new side. We're getting to the, the fun stuff today because the reason that we stop and we rest actually is to experience God's delight. It's to experience God's delight. And so a lot of us, we we counted this week and about a quarter to a third of the church uh, has joined one of these practice groups, which is great. That's exciting. And if you have not yet, or you haven't had a chance to yet, or you're new here, these groups are open. There's lots of ones that you can join. It's not too late. Go ahead and look on the website and you can find out where they are and when they meet. But the promise that is in this practice of Sabbath is that if we press through and we actually begin to make this a posture of our hearts and a habit in our lives, the promise is that we can experience a greater level of joy and delight in the Lord. Psalm 16 says, as I spoke about a couple weeks ago, David says, in your presence is fullness of joy. And so if you think about it, if we're setting our minds to take one day a week to set it apart to be with God and to learn how to live actively in his presence, can we not expect greater joy? And the answer is, yes, we can. Yes, we can. And that's been my experience as we've intentionally, as a family, practiced this over the last nine or ten years. And it's been an increasing level of joy, increasing level of this is the day that I look forward to through the whole week. And so I just want to encourage you with that, that if you are finding it difficult, it's worth it. It's worth it. Start where you are, not where you should be. Take steps because guess what? It's a practice and you get better the more you practice. All right? So this week's topic and the exercises are all about the delight of the Sabbath, that it's truly the best day of the week. And it's the one that as you practice it, you begin, you find yourself looking forward to and looking back on every week. (laughs) And so if you're part of a group or group leaders, I just want to encourage you to watch this week's video because the teaching this morning is not going to overlap very much with it. And so the video teaching from the course this week really gets a lot deeper into aspects of God's delight in Sabbath that I'm not going to cover this morning. And so it's going to, they're going to complement one another. There's also the podcast and all that stuff that you can dive into and they're very good. But this morning, we're going to look at a particular passage that gets into our first point here, which is that Sabbath is not a ritual of duty, but a ritual of delight. Sabbath is a ritual. It's a repeated practice of delight. And I think probably, I said last time I spoke a couple weeks ago, that there's a certain horse that's already dead that I'm going to continue beating which is this, I think the greatest temptation with regards to Sabbath, just like any other spiritual act or discipline, is that 
subtly, slowly, we begin to think of it as this religious performance that if we do it, if we obey it, God is sure to give us the things that we want. That God is sure to reward us. Something that is given to treat it as this thing that we're made to obey rather than something that is given for us to enjoy, which is what Jesus said the Sabbath is all about. All right? And I want to show you this morning in an Old Testament passage that this is not, that this has always been the case with Sabbath. All right? We're going to turn to Isaiah 58. And we're going to read this whole chapter, but rather than read it all at once, we're going to go through it section by section and see how it tells us the story of recovering the delight of Sabbath. Okay, so Isaiah 58, you can turn to it in your Bibles or read it with me on the screen. Verses 1 and 2 say, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me of righteous, they ask me of righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. So this is the prophet Isaiah. If you're familiar with the story of the people of Israel, this is at the, the, the lowest point, really, of the history of God's people. They were about to enter into exile, and it was because of forsaking their God. And so Isaiah the prophet, he's addressing himself to Israel, and he's, he's kind of setting them up for this blistering rebuke like only the prophets can do. It's pretty intense, some of these, these Old Testament words of prophecy. And yet you read what he says, and he goes on to describe a number of things that seem pretty positive, right? They're seeking God daily. They delight to know the scriptures. They delight to draw near to him. And you're thinking, you know, Isaiah, like, what's the problem? <laughs> Aren't they doing exactly what we would hope they would be doing? How exactly have they forsaken God if these are the things that they're doing? Aren't these exactly the kinds of things that we want to see God's people doing? And the next point I want to make here is that it is possible to do all the right things and yet remain very far from God. When you read Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees in the New Testament, this is the lesson that keeps coming over and over again. You do all the right things religiously, and yet your hearts are far from me. And for those of you that heard last week's message from my friend Mike, one of the things that stuck with me from his session on his training session on Saturday was he said, a lot of times in the church world, when we're thinking about evangelism and someone comes to faith, we encounter someone who's, who's far from God and their life is a mess, you know, morally speaking or whatever uh, way it's in a mess. And then they come to Christ, okay? That person puts their faith in Christ and they become a Christian. Now, what do we expect to see? All right? We expect to see growth, right? 
expect to see change. And I think that's a good and right expectation. The question is, how do we measure that? Well, I think most often when a person comes to faith in Christ, what we're expecting to see is church attendance, maybe tithing. We expect to see them beginning to serve. If they play an instrument, we're like, hold on, why aren't you on the worship team yet? Right? (laughs) Maybe attending a small group, getting their life in order. And those are all good things. Don't get me wrong, right? They're all good things. But, but here's the point that he made that really impacted me. He says, if those things are the only measure, then essentially what we're doing is we're taking the younger brother and turning him into the older brother and calling it progress. And what I'm referencing there, if, you, if you're not familiar with that reference, is that uh, Jesus told a story about a man with two sons. And the younger son demands his inheritance early, and then he, he goes off to a foreign country, and he, he wastes it all in this kind of immoral lifestyle. And, and then he, he turns back out of selfish motives, and yet the father forgives him, restores him, and throws him a party. All right? And the older son, who never went anywhere, who always faithfully did what he was expected to do. He never did anything really bad. He was always obedient. He's furious. He's furious when his brother is forgiven and celebrated. Why is he furious? He's furious because he's done all the stuff, and yet he feels like he hasn't received what he deserved from the father. He says, I've always done everything you expected from me, and you never threw a party for me. You never even gave me a young goat to barbecue. And we know that we're not supposed to, you know, the older brother is not a hero in this story. And yet, if you're honest, can't you kind of relate to why he's frustrated? (laughs) Right? Now listen, I want want us to carry on in, in what Isaiah says. Because he goes on to describe the people who were doing all the right things, but listen to the heart attitude that comes out in verse three. This is the people speaking. Why have we fasted and you see it not, God? Why have we humbled ourselves and yet you take no knowledge of it? You, you don't take notice of our humility. Now, just as we read that, I want us to pause and take notice of the attitudes of our own hearts. What is it that comes out of our heart? And the question I have is, how do you feel when something bad happens to you? Or maybe even more tellingly, when something good happens to somebody else? that hasn't worked quite as hard as you. This is a serious question. Where does your heart go? Do you begin to feel hard done by? Do you begin to feel overlooked by God? I've felt that plenty of times. And you know what that is? 
That's the little voice of the elder brother within me. Remember a time, there's really, I don't know if I can think of any other time where the Lord has used me in this particular way, but I remember a time when the Lord put a, a kind of a strong prophetic rebuke like Isaiah is doing here. He put it into my mouth. It's not my typical mode. It was a friend of mine in Battelle who had come in, you know, he'd come to faith through the program and he was working really hard. He was, you know, worshiping his heart out in church and he was working really hard in his job and he was, you know, caring for the new guys in the program. And he was, he was doing all the stuff. He was working really hard and studying his Bible and doing all this stuff. He was giving testimonies and, and you know, you'd look at all that and you would say, wow, there's real success. This is a success story in the gospel. And I remember one time, a few months later, we're on the job together and I can tell he's really frustrated and, and you know, he just, he, he, he starts venting his frustration to me. And I can't remember, exa- I, I wish I could remember exactly what the situation was, but I'm pretty sure it was to do with a girl that didn't like him in return. And, you know, this is how things go. And he started saying, you know, I've done all this stuff for God and he can't even give me this. And I turned to him and said, oh, I guess God owes you one, huh? And I caught myself, oh, where did that come from, man? And I, was, I, I realized it was, it was a little like, I felt like that was the Holy Spirit just cutting into that attitude. But I mean, man, if I examine myself, I've been there many times too. I've been there many times too. And here's the thing. I think the scary thing is when you're in that mode of thinking, it's hard to see it for what it is. We don't see it. Because what we see is all our obedience. We see all these rituals that we're doing that are good things. And so we're not looking at the underlying attitude of our hearts. And I think sometimes it's only the disappointment that can reveal what's actually going on underneath. And I wish it weren't the case, but that's God's mercy in allowing us to go through things that can reveal to us the state of our own hearts. I don't have time to tell you stories where he's done that with me, but it's been several times. Let me tell you. Okay, so. In other words, look at the fruit of what these things are producing in your life. And it will tell you some of the motivation of your heart in doing them. All right. So let's listen as the prophet continues in the second half of verse three. He says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. In other words, you're taking off, but you're overworking all your employees. And he goes on, behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. In other words, your, your religious observance is just leading to this relational strife. Have you ever like, you know, guys, I'm really trying to, you know, fast here. I'm really trying to Sabbath here and you're all ruining it. <laughs> he says, fasting like yours this day will not make your voice heard on high. 
Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? And so <laughs> we're going to get a little de- bit depressing and then we're going to get really exciting, okay? So just bear with me here because if this is challenging you, it's because it's challenging me, all right? Now, the question is, why would anyone be as stupid as to do this? All right. Why would we be so dumb as to think that you know we're gonna we're gonna get something out of God for this? Well, as the Declaration of Independence so famously says, all right, we have an inal- we recognize the inalienable right to the pursuit of happiness. All right, and I think we resonate with that because it's so true to what drives us as human beings. We all are wired for pleasure. We're we're wired for happiness. It's what we're always looking for. And so sometimes we look at people and their behavior and it seems so strange and odd to us. And we wonder like, how in the world could they do something so dumb? Or how in the world, God, could I do something so dumb? And the answer usually is because in that moment, in your way of thinking, That's the thing that you think is going to lead to your happiness. Even if you're blind to it in the moment, you're doing that thing. It's almost always the case. You're doing that thing because you think it's ultimately what's going to lead to your happiness. And so the younger son in that story that Jesus told, the younger son, he thinks that what is ultimately going to make him happy is doing all the things that he was always forbidden to do. So he goes out and, you know, does all the overt sinful stuff. The older son also is pursuing his happiness. And he thinks that if he's really, really good, then God will give him the things that are going to make him happy. And you get the irony? Both of them are ignoring the only one who will actually give them the happiness that they're made to experience. It's the love, the acceptance, the belonging of the father's house. And so the great danger of the spiritual life and spiritual disciplines and Sabbath in particular is that we do them and we obey them and we get good at them. And then we expect God to give us the things that we really want. (laughs) But here's the thing. My analogy for this is that way of thinking, it's kind of like marrying God for his money. Right? And what is the reward of, of marriage? Is it sex? Is it financial stability? Is it a tax break? You know? Is it companionship? No, we all know that the only proper reward of love is the beloved. And that's why we have, you know, words and phrases and attitudes towards people who marry for money or for status, or for something else. It feels, you know, wrong and mercenary because it is. (laughs) It's, It's using something to try and get something else. And what Isaiah, I think, is saying here is that the reward of love is the beloved. And so he's effectively saying to the people of Israel, he's saying, you're doing the acts to keep in this marriage theme. You're doing the acts of marriage, you're, you're saying the words of marriage, you're doing the deeds of marriage, but your heart is set on 
the belongings rather than the beloved. And if you heard Mike's message last week, and if you didn't, you can go online and, and, and watch it. I really encourage you to. Um, he was sharing with us a number of really inspiring stories of what a life looks like, uh, not in some far-off place, but right here in like suburban Pennsylvania. What a life that's pervaded by the love of Christ can look like. What a life that, that's poured out in love for other people looks like. And it looks like offering grace. It looks like offering freedom. It looks like offering generosity and hospitality. And I want to tell you, those are not the things that flow out of a religious heart. Those are the things that flow out of a heart that's full of love. And so listen to the words of the prophet. This is exactly what he begins to describe in verse 6. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? And you could also translate that to not hide yourself from family members who are in need. That's a penetrating set of questions. And I think those are the kinds of questions that when we ask ourselves them, they begin to reveal some of our religious kind of smoke and mirrors. And so I'm encouraging us here to to look at our lives. In our, I don't know about in, in your practice group, but in a couple different ones that I was involved with in this past week, what came out of Mike's message last week was, was people beginning to actually see the people that they encountered in their daily life a little bit differently. And running into, having these, I had a, several conversations about God encounters that people had with people that they would have, you just never thought of it before. And it raises this question, when we encounter the types of people that Isaiah is talking about, people who are tied up in bonds of oppression, addiction, people who are crushed and oppressed and depressed, who are hungry, who are homeless, who are poor, who are naked. What comes out of us? What's our automatic response? Because the state of our heart gets shown by that type of thing. And one of the things I think Isaiah is talking about here, I think that the cool thing about that is that the reason the prophet brings this stuff up is that this type of the way we treat people and the fruit of the spirit is what can't, we we can't manufacture it. We can't manufacture the fruit of the spirit. All right, so listen, listen to the kind of life that as Isaiah describes, and I'm, I'm uh, heading towards the, the application here. Um, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday 
and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. And you shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. What a cool passage. Doesn't that, doesn't that describe the kind of life that we, that we want, that we long to see? And so he, he's describing this fullness, this joy, this nearness to God's heart that's so attractive. And it's this thing that pours out not only of our own hearts, but it begins to pour out onto the people around us and whole neighborhoods and, and societies. That's what Isaiah is describing. It's the fruit of a life that delights in God, that seeks the beloved for the beloved. Not just a duty, but a delight. And so just like anything else we delight in, whatever you enjoy, you naturally pour out of yourself. You, begin, you tell people about it. It pours out of you, right? And so the question that I've been posing for myself and just reflecting on last week and reflecting on this is, how much do I really delight in God? How excited am I about him? And so the, the, the question you can put up on the screen is, how much is your delight in God spilling over into the world around you? And so, if you're like me, and I can see it in your faces, this is all feeling a little bit depressing. <laughs> and I'm okay with that, because there's good news, all right? <laughs> if you're like me, and you ask yourself that question, you begin to realize, wow, my delight in God is pathetically small. It is in no way commensurate to the goodness that he's shown me. So what's the answer? And here's my good news and encouragement for you all is that the the answer is not to feel bad about it and get all guilty and condemned and go out and work harder and try harder because guilt does not produce transformation. It doesn't. As Isaiah showed us, when we're doing that stuff out of a sense of performance and guilt, all that it produces is strife. All of a sudden you're trying to rest and you find yourself arguing with your family and, because it's, it's coming from this place um, that is, uh, is more about guilt. And so the answer that I have for you this morning is that when you realize your delight is too small in God, the answer is you need to hear the gospel once again for your heart. We need to hear the gospel once again. Because if that isn't pouring out of us, it means there's an aspect of which the, the, the good news has somehow, we've lost the sense of goodness of it. We've lost the sense of the freedom, the joy, the love that is ours in Christ. And all of this, the gospel, it's an appeal to our deepest desire. Here's what the gospel says. Religious person, Elder brother, the thing you're using God to get. Or it says, younger brother, irreligious person, the thing that you are disobeying God to try and get, 
deep down at the end of it all, what you actually desire is God himself. What you actually desire is the love of a father that never comes to an end. And so you're searching for these things because you think that they're going to make you happy. But it's actually God that you want. And here's the good news, that Jesus has shown us the Father. He's offered him to us. And so we want so much to delight in a love that never comes to an end, but we can only find that kind of love by delighting in him. By delighting in him. And so the way, the way into all this, the way into the goodness of the good news is by finding our delight again. By finding our delight again. It's almost like if we re, you know, refer back to that marriage metaphor, when you find yourself in a stale point in your marriage, the way back in is to go back to your first love. Amen. Begin to learn how to delight in one another again. Start dating one another again. (laughs) And so, hear the gospel once again for your heart that he has delighted in you. He has given himself for you so that you could have the love that you were made for, you were intended for. And yet the challenge that we see is that Our love easily grows cold. And so my question here, as we we bring this to a close, and 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 where Sabbath comes into this is this question of, how do we grow in delight for God? We want that. We know we need it. How do we grow in it? Listen to what Isaiah says. 13, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your, your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight... And the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so I'm not, I'm, I'm not offering you a formula, okay? Listen to the whole rest of the message that's come up to this point. What I'm offering you is the promise that's recorded in Scripture. Set apart the day. Call it a delight. In other words, regard it as a delight. And it can become a delight. (laughs) Why would you have to call it a delight if at first, you know, if it didn't feel like something other than a delight at first? You have to Call it that. Regard it as that. Honor it. And then he says, and then you shall take delight in the Lord. And so here's my point is that delight is the promise of Sabbath. And so as we're talking about how do we build delight in the Lord, I really think it's not very different than building delight in any other relationship, any other person. All right. So I want to offer you two things of how we can see that Sabbath builds delight. All right. How do we build delight in our relationships with other people? Number one, we build delight by spending time together. (laughs) We build delight by setting apart time to be together. It's hard to delight in anyone if you don't spend time together. It's pretty simple. It's hard to delight in anyone without regular quality time together. And it's hard to get quality time together 
without quantity time together. Unrushed, unhurried time to just be together. And so that's why scripture encourages us, remember this day, set it apart, one-seventh of your time as unhurried time to be with God. All right? And here's my next encouragement, is that (laughs) spending the whole day with God does not just mean 24 hours of unbroken devotional time. All right? Here's the fun part of this message and this whole gift of Sabbath. You know, that's not what you do with your friends, is it? You don't set apart a day with, you know, like, you know, we're going to spend a day together, guys, okay? And then you just sit in your living room quietly contemplating one another. (laughs) Right? That's not what you do. (laughs) Sometimes you have the, you know, that is part of a loving relationship is being able to spend those quiet times together. But what do you do with your friends? You have fun together, right? You do stuff that is enjoyable and you do it together. And all of a sudden, as you do joyful things together, your joy builds in one another. You do things that delight your heart, that you love, that excite you, and you share them with someone that you love. You find your relationship becoming more delightful together. And so it means in doing enjoyable things together, but doing them with each other. And in this particular case, when we're talking about Sabbath, it means doing things that delight your heart, that give you joy, that give you pleasure, and doing them consciously with God, bringing God into that. So when you're eating your favorite meal It's bringing God into that saying, God, thank you for this steak. (laughs) Or thank you for this like quinoa or whatever. (laughs) Sorry, I'm I'm being flippant. But (laughs) whatever you love, right? Or or maybe it's you you go on this hike to this particularly beautiful place that you love and, and it brings you joy, but doing it, you look out and you see the same things that you see and you say, man, thanks God. Don't you love this? Isn't it amazing you made something like this just for us to enjoy, right? Doing it with him. And so by sharing in those delights, you grow in delight for one another. So the next point, the last point, we build delight by doing fun things together. It's not crazy. And so I really believe this is why Sabbath can be such a gift. (laughs) As we practice it as a gift, this is why it becomes your favorite day of the week, all right? And so here, this this is the best homework you're ever going to get, all right? Your assignment this week, remember, because this is not just a sermon series, it's a practice series, so every week has homework. Don't think of it as homework, but it is. Your assignment this week is literally go have fun. Go enjoy yourself, knowing that God has commanded you to have fun. Isn't that cool? We've got a God who commands us to have fun, to delight in his creation, to delight in in the people that he's put into our lives, to delight in him. Because, you know, if you've ever given a gift to somebody, what brings you the most joy as the gift giver is when you see the person 
really enjoying that gift, right? And if, if, you, if you've given them something that, you, that has given you joy and then you see them enjoying it, doesn't that bring joy to your heart? Doesn't that make you smile? And I think God feels exactly the same way towards us. He has created this creation and he's created the people around us and our families and friends. And he loves to see us enjoying his creation. And so Jesus said he came to give us joy and that our joy may be complete. And it doesn't mean that if we practice this, we're never going to have suffering. We're never going to have sorrow. Because another one of the things Jesus said was, in this world, you will have sorrow. But here's the thing. And I love how John Mark Comer puts this in the teaching. He says, sorrow is inevitable. Joy is not. Joy is something that we have to choose and we have to practice. And so the Sabbath is designed by God as a day to give yourself fully to delight in God his world, his creation, and ultimately God himself. And so that's what we're about this week. And so here's your exercises for this week. It's the last thing I'm going to say. Um, remember that each week the things are kind of building on one another. So keep doing the things that you've already started doing, but add this in now, mix this in. Number one, your exercise is plan a Sabbath feast. That's fun. Plan to eat a great meal on whatever day or time you've chosen, uh, you've chosen. Ideally, do it together with people around you, whether it's your small group, or your family, or, or, or whoever. Um, plan a cookout. Plan for some friends uh, to join you in a meal. Uh, order something if you prefer that. Cook something if you like to cook. Uh, have dessert if you don't usually have dessert. Save your best bottle of whatever uh, for this meal. <laughs> And here's the thing. This is also a day to practice hospitality. So if you know or you think of anyone who may not have that close kind of community, this is the perfect moment. Invite them to the feast. Why? Because Jesus invited us into his feast, right? Secondly, pleasure stacking, okay? This, I, I like this idea. It's basically pick two or three things that you just absolutely love to do and plan to do them that day. All right? So here's a few ideas. 20 ideas. Make pancakes. Open a good bottle of wine, if that's your thing. Have a dance party. Some of us need to do that privately. <laughs> Play music. Get coffee with a friend. Make love to your spouse. If you're married, I must... Okay? Take a walk. Take a nap. Amen. Eat some good food. Do your nails. It, it's just on the list, okay? Go fishing or, or swimming. Be in nature. Watch the sunrise. Watch the sunset. Make a fire. Read some fiction or poetry. Sing. Go to a museum. Do a picnic. Play a game. It, it, you get the point, right? Do things that are actually fun, <laughs> Whatever fun looks like to you. Be creative, be thoughtful. And I just believe that we can take this promise of Isaiah 58. That as we, if we will listen to God in this and spend some intentional time with him and enjoying all that he's made, we will experience greater delight in him that will begin to transform us 
more and more into the image of Christ. So that's the goal here. It's practicing the presence of God in our actual lives. So let's pray as we draw this to a close. <laughs> Lord, as we look at our rituals, our obediences, and we compare them with the attitude of our hearts, Lord, so often we see that though we might be doing the right things, our hearts are cold. And so God, whenever we do that, we are missing the joy of who you are. And so God, as we give ourselves to this, as we practice this, Lord, would you give us a new dose of your delight, a dose of your joy, Lord, that you are the happiest person in all the universe. And that you actually command us to have fun. Lord, it's so silly that you even have to do that. But God, as we examine our hearts this morning, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would lift off burdens of religion, burdens of law, burdens of disappointment. Lord, would you lift them off? Lord, that you would, by your mercy, by your Holy Spirit, reveal to us what the state of our heart is and give it once again to you to return to our first love and find our delight in you once again. Help us, Lord. Give us strength and perseverance to press through the challenges, to press through the resistance. Lord, that we would learn how to spend time with you and enjoy you as we intentionally enjoy your creation and enjoy your people and the people you've put in our lives, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, and may we experience more and more of your presence and your delight as we practice these things together. Thank you for your gospel that is such good news that sets us free to be people of love. So we thank you, Lord. We ask you to come and change us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word JESUS to 610-816-6062.